0: will you join me for a word of prayer blessed lord god we give thanks and praise to you for the seasons of our fruitfulness for you plant the word and you bring it to fruit bless us now as we come to your word, that we might be brought to a right understanding and by your grace grow into the fullness of what you have claimed us to be. This we ask in your most precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So our readings today... Um, obviously, in our, the way our lectionary is set up, our reading cycle is set up so that everything is indexed to help us understand the gospel reading better. So since the gospel uh, reading is the parable of the mustard seed, well known to most of us and is fairly self-evident. You get a tiny seed, it grows into something big. I'm going to focus my energy on our reading from St. Paul. Because, as Peter notes in his letters... Brother Paul can be a bit confusing at times. He's a bit deep for some of us. So it pays us, especially when there's a long passage, to slow down a little bit and follow the twists and turns of Paul's thought more carefully. Because that is how we will get the fullness of what he's trying to teach to the church. So this reading, uh, 17 verses long from 2 Corinthians, we're, going to start, we're just going to break it down verse by verse and get into it. So the first verse reads like this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So what St. Paul is picturing here is, of course, the, the human body as a tent as a tent. Now, this would have been more provocative for us even than it is as a metaphor if we were a Greek-speaking Jew of the first century because the word for tent is tabernacle. So when you think of the spirit of our, our spirit being tabernacled in our body, it's immediately going to evoke for the ancient Jew the power of God tabernacling in the midst of the Israelites as they journey through the wilderness. And he says, we have this tabernacle, this tent, which is under assault. It can be destroyed. And so God has given us a better one, a spiritual tent, with which he is going to cover us. This is the resurrection body to which we look and for which we hope. So this is what St. Paul is laying out as the passage begins. We have an earthly body we can see and we know well, sometimes too well when it hurts us. And though that can be destroyed, God has a spiritual body he's bringing to us. And then verse 3 hits. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. This is the kind of verse we wish didn't stick itself there because St Paul is lifting us up for us the very real reality of judgment we don't want to see our physical body get destroyed and then there be no spiritual covering for it no resurrection body because we are found to be not in Christ but that's not ultimately where our thoughts are to remain as those who have heard the good news. He goes on, For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. We're not to be focused on or worried about whether we are going to be judged, going to put it bluntly, up or down, (laughs) heaven or hell, at the final judgment, because we have received Christ. We know God. So while we grow, we are burdened in this life. No one who's lived this life can doubt it. But we groan worrying not about the final judgment, not about being unclothed, but instead about being further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by what is immortal, eternal life. This is where our hopes lie, and this is why we groan St. Paul uses that same language talking about a woman in labor pains waiting for the baby to come. We're hoping for something better so we endure the pain of the moment looking forward to what is to come. Because he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage even when our earthly tent Our physical body is under assault. We are of good courage. Why? Because God has given us a spirit, His spirit, as the guarantee that the resurrection body He is to give us is absolutely true. Now, how do we know we have this spirit? Well, in the book of Galatians, St. Paul says, if we can cry out, Abba, Father, we have this spirit. You may never spoke in tongues, You may wish you were at the first Pentecost and you had something a little a little more fireworks in your spiritual life, but St. Paul says that's not what you need to know that you are among the, the elect, that God has chosen you and will give you this resurrection body. All you need is to be able to call God Father and Jesus Christ Lord. So you can be of good courage. Because you know that while you are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, as we sang in our hymn. Yes, we are of good courage. Of course, we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, but we're still of good courage, while yet we have work to do, while yet we linger in this earthly frame. We have good courage no matter what is coming at us. What empowered those Christian martyrs in the early church to face lions and bulls and burning at the stake with a smile on their mouth and a a hymn in their throats? It was the hope of what was coming and, and the spirit they knew had given them the power to call God Father and what He was about to provide for them when they were at home with Him. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Whether we are at home with God in His spiritual dwelling, or whether we are here in our physical dwelling, we make it our aim to please Him. This is the whole goal of the Christian life, not just on this side of the grave, but in eternity. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, again, another passage which we might want to skip over or might forget because it gets buried in the middle of all the other ones. As modern Christians, we tend to think of judgment primarily in terms of am I saved or not? But the Bible talks about judgment in a lot of ways. And Jesus Christ has... Came and what died on the cross and has called you to faith through the power of the Spirit, not just to save you from your sins, but He has done all of that so that He has something better in store for you. He has good works prepared for you ahead of time. Think new way to live in this physical frame while yet you linger here. We have a mission, folks a beautiful mission which is going to draw us in and give us true life. Now this next section, verses 11 through 15, can get a little confusing unless you know the politics of the church in Corinth. (laughs) So, Rather than dig way into that, which is more for a Bible study and less for a sermon, I want you to focus on two things that St. Paul pulls out here, kind of how he frames this discussion with them. Knowing the fear of the Lord, because this judgment is coming for what we do with the body, and the love of Christ controlling us. This is how we live our lives. We know the fear of the Lord, which Proverbs says is the beginning of wisdom but we also know the love of Christ. And the love of Christ is what controls us, or like in another translation says, compels us, moves us along. The love of God given to us in Jesus Christ motivates us to to do what? So that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Those who live, those who have received real life, eternal life in Jesus Christ They don't want to live for themselves anymore. They live for Him, who for their sake died and was raised. And I love this. I couldn't improve on the language in this. When I was going through my commentaries and preparing for today's sermon, um, I love this, that the Baker Illustrated commentary sums this all up beautifully. He says, Thus Paul is confident, as one who lives by faith and not by sight, that when at last he leaves his home in the body... He will be transformed in a way that will allow him to be at home with the Lord. But then as now, then as now, the goal will be to give the pleasure of a returned love and service to the Lord who loved us and laid down His life for us. The pleasure, listen to that, the pleasure of a returned love and service. Against the standard of His love, Jesus' love for us, the adequacy of our response will be measured. Pleasure of a returned love and service for the world. That's the kind of judgment that this passage is talking about, but it's also the kind of privilege it's talking about, the kind of life we get to live here and now because we know God and Jesus Christ. Those two aspects of verses 11 to 15. The fear of the Lord and the love of Christ are what create this compulsion in our lives That we might no longer live for ourselves, but for Him. Those of you who've read Luther's Catechism may remember it from a million years ago, or if you've got children or grandchildren who've been going through it lately, will recognize Luther here. As Luther goes through the Ten Commandments and says, What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? He always starts with, We should so fear and love God that we do what? We don't commit adultery. We don't pass around rumors about our fellows. We don't covet their stuff. We hold God's name in high regard and worship Him alone. We should so fear and love God that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Him. It's like Luther wasn't making this stuff up. We round out the passage this way. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Folks, let's be clear about how hard this is. Start with yourself. Ever try to live earnestly for God and suddenly discover you have all kind of sins which keep nibbling at your heels and knocking you down? And all you can think to yourself is about what a miserable failure you are as a Christian? Are you really looking at yourself as though you're a new creation in Christ? Or are you only seeing the old Adam? If you look the next pew over, now if it's hard to do with yourself, how much harder is it to you if someone takes your favorite spot in your favorite pew <laughs> or pulls into your parking spot right ahead of you out in the parking lot <laughs> or cuts you off in traffic? I'm 33. <laughs> how hard is it for us to regard, regard each other according to Christ instead of according to the flesh? We need to do this, though. If we keep seeing only the earthly tent, only the old Adam, only the old man or woman, we will never, never experience that fullness of life that God wishes to give us. We need to look at each other and see each other as new creations, as in Christ. passage, the next part is the key reason why. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. This is St. Paul saying this, folks. Remember the guy who held their coats so that they could better stone Stephen? The guy who was rounding up all the Christians so they could be put in prison and hopefully be put to death? because they had taken this man and elevated him to the level of godhood and worshipped him as God. He knew that the key turn came from him in when he came to regard Christ no longer just as in the flesh, but as what he was, God in the flesh. We regard Christ no longer according to the flesh and every religious representation you've ever seen of Christ from the humblest crayon drawing by a child through a mosaic like this one, an icon, a stained glass window, was some artist trying to communicate to us what had finally become reality for them, that they no longer regarded Christ according to the flesh. And because they didn't regard Christ according to the flesh... They can't regard those who are in Christ according to the flesh any longer. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you see the logic of what St. Paul is saying? The way we look at each other is directly connected to how we look at Jesus. This is the Christian journey. This is what the whole of the Christian life is about. We no longer live for ourselves but for Him. And part of living for Him is living for what He is doing in our brothers and sisters in Christ. We learn to regard each other no longer according to the flesh but according to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. This is how the kingdom of God grows in our midst almost when we're not looking, as Jesus talks about in chapter 4 of Mark today. This is what we mean when we talk about discipleship, folks. This is the whole of the Christian life on this side of the grave is discipleship. That's why the NELC emphasizes it so strongly a couple of weeks ago I was in San Antonio with a bunch of other pastors and I'd, I'd been struggling for months for a tool with which we can hold this in front of our lives as a congregation just not feeling like anything I'd come up with or come across was really what the spirit was blessing and then in the midst of that time together God just put something right in front of me and I thought oh this feels right. After all these months of prayer, this is what it's supposed to be. And then I came back, and of course Michael was preaching the Sunday I came back, um, because I was away, didn't have time to prepare a sermon, and he immediately launched into the first of the four things. And I went, oh, okay, I guess now's the time, God? Do you remember what Michael preached about that Sunday? He talked about worship. He rehearsed for you what happened over the course of the COVID crisis, and how this congregation had made its central it's, its entire mission to allow us to continue to worship. We, we are one of the few churches that literally didn't miss one Sunday. Because worship is the heart of who we are. If you know God and Jesus Christ, you have to worship Him. And worship is from what all the rest of the Christian life flows. It flows out from our worship, because although we feel like we come to give something to God, we give an hour of our time or a little more and we sing a few songs. But really, what's happening is God's giving to us here. God's giving to us through His Word, He's giving to us through the table, through the sacraments, and empowering us to go live the life He's called us to live. And then I looked at the readings for the next three Sundays after I came back, and I'm like, oh yeah, I guess this is what you wanted me to do, God. Because the first Sunday after I came back was Ascension Sunday. Do you remember this? And we talked about this passage and what God had done for us here and how St. Paul was saying he he wished us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. This requires growth in us, our spiritual growth. My son just turned 17 yesterday and uh, this would be the year he learns to drive a car. My son already possesses all of the attributes he will need to drive a car properly. But he has to build the skills. (laughs) If you are in Christ, you have been given everything you need by God to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But you need to grow into the skills. You need to learn what it means. So as Christians, part of one of the marks of a Christian disciples is that we are always growing. We are always growing. Then the next Sunday after Ascension Sunday was Pentecost. What we talked about, what we this is what we talk about every year at Pentecost, right? How God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him might not perish but have eternal life. God shared His only Son with us, and so now it's our job to share His only Son with everyone else. And not only that, but in the Book of Acts, we see them sharing everything with one another—not just Jesus, but they're sharing their stuff, they're sharing their time. Their time, their talents, their possessions. We say that when we bring our offering forward every week. We are called upon to share, to do life together, as millennials say, a little younger than me. (laughs) We're called to share everything with one another. To help each other grow. To bear one another's burdens. Isn't it nice to know that while you're having trouble seeing yourself as a new creation in Christ, your neighbor, the next pew over, can see that for you and lift you up and help you. So disciples are always sharing. Sharing Jesus and sharing everything else for Jesus' sake. And of course then on Holy Trinity Sunday, we talked about how the very nature of God is love. That the Father loves the Son and loves the Spirit and the Son loves the Father and the Spirit and the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. But this is not mere sentimental regard for one another, but it's a self-giving love that the love that is God is a love that serves and gives itself constantly in service. Jesus says, I do only what I see the Father doing. I do what He tells me. The Father raises up the Son. The Spirit serves the purposes of both the Father and the Son, bringing us to faith and sustaining the church through every generation. And because God is the nature of God to serve, we are called to serve if we want to become like Him in character. This is why Jesus, on the night in which He was betrayed, ties a towel around His waist and kneels down to wash the feet of His disciples. Disciples of Jesus Christ serve one another and all the world, because God is serving us. We worship the God revealed by Jesus Christ, and out of our worship flows our drive to live for Him and not for ourselves, to grow and to share and to serve. And out of that, out of that is where the kingdom of God grows in our midst This is the path of discipleship. This is how we're going to hold it in front of our faces as a congregation. How we're going to know whether we're living our lives in accord with what God wishes and for what God died. Living for Him and not for ourselves. This is how we're going to lift high the cross and proclaim the love of Christ to a world that desperately needs to know it. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise that you have given yourself to us that we may learn to give ourselves to one another and to you. Bless us, Lord, that we may look upon you and not according to the flesh, but as you are, as God in the flesh, and so worship you, the God you reveal, Father and Spirit as well. Bless us, Lord, that from our worship may flow a desire to grow in your grace. Whatever we're at, whatever juncture we're at in our lives, whatever new season is before us, so we may need to grow in our prayer lives, in our knowledge of Scripture. Perhaps you're calling us to do a deep dive in a book of Scripture or in our spiritual life. Whatever way it is you need us to grow, help us To rush to do that so that you can have your will worked in our lives as it is in heaven. Grant us to share everything with one another our time, our talents, our treasures, that we might know that fullness of God, the fullness of your life. And may we serve one another and the world outside so that we may have living in this way and the hope of that spiritual tent. You've made for us have good courage in the face of all that comes and live in a way that pleases You. This we ask in Your precious name, for You do live with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.